You are listening to Slaves to the Algo with Suresh Shankar, a show about AI, big data, disruptive technology, and strategies for your business to stay ahead in the age of relevance. Brought to you by Crayon Data. Hello, viewers and listeners. I'm Suresh Shankar, founder and CEO of Crayon Data. Welcome back to this episode of Slaves to the Algo. That's right, Slaves to the Algo, where we talk about demystifying the age of the algorithm with various experts and from various industries. And today, I'm particularly delighted to have Mika DeShepa, Executive Vice President and Managing Director, Asia Pacific of Amadeus. Mika is an expert in the travel industry. Before this, she spent years at companies like Expedia, as well as in other consumer product companies like Philips. And um, there's nobody better I can think of who's actually seen through this whole revolution of what data and AI has done to travel over the last decade or so, especially in the Asia Pacific region. Welcome to the show, Mika. Thank you for having me. Great to be here, Suresh. Yeah, Mika, I think you sit in a very um, commanding position in some ways because, you know, Amadeus is like, you know, one of the global giants that underpins the entire travel industry. And it's a name nobody knows of, but, you know, underneath a lot of this stuff is a couple of companies and one of them is Amadeus. And, uh, but before I go into the professional side, I wanted to start with a slightly more personal question because um, one of the things I always find is that we're always reacting as professionals to data and AI and what should we do? But we're also as consumers and human beings profoundly affected by algorithms. And in many cases, like I said, we're not even aware of them. In some cases we are. And um, could you share with me some examples of, um, you know, algorithms that you know have touched your life positively, negatively, things you fear, things you're like excited about because, you know, hey, wow, I didn't know it could do this. Yeah, yeah, of course, I think you, you have the algorithms everywhere. And uh, I'm, uh, I definitely use all the different e-commerce and online tools, especially um, as I'm typically quite busy and on the road, not so much the last year. So I use all the different tools. I would say there are some good ones. Uh, of course, I mean, the music recommendations on Spotify, Netflix, of course, although sometimes I hope that Netflix would give me some more creative ideas, but they still give, give me suggestions. Um, but the, it is sometimes challenging to get them right now, because if you have my kids use my phone as well, and suddenly I get this okay. really weird mix of recommendations <laughs> there. So it is a fine tuning, I think, and that's my personal experience. Some of them get it better. They kind of know that there's multiple people on the device and therefore they, they can differentiate that. While in some other places it goes completely wrong and you get the weirdest ads um, coming through. So it's a, it's a bit of a hit and miss. I would say in the area of ads for me, it's typically more miss. I don't really mm -hmm. find myself that attracted to some of the stuff. While when it comes to recommendations and trying new things and new experiences on a Kindle or Spotify and Netflix, as I said, uh, yeah, can be surprising. And that's wonderful. And I'm going to go a little bit deeper into some of those examples that you did as we go through the show. And we'll talk about it in the context of travel and um, uh, how, you know, I think it's a human being behind the algorithm that can actually deliver this as well. But um, you worked, um, I think you worked in a couple of really large online travel players. One was Expedia, which is a consumer, and then Amadeus, which is more like the backbone. And one of the claims um, at Expedia uh, is um, the fact that they make apparently about 600 billion predictions through AI every year. <laughs> now, what's, I mean, that's a staggering number. 
and it's always very, you know, I'm always curious, how do people come up with 600 billion? But I'm not going into the number. What kind of predictions and what kind of things do people do today, you know, when you're improving the travel experience and, you know, what, what are the, could you share us some examples of that? Yeah, and I would say in the travel experience, I mean, the prime example is really trying to provide the right results if some, when somebody searches for a certain flight or a hotel. How do you make sure that the top results there are the right one for that traveler? And so in Expedia, we call that sort. In Amadeus, we call it search. Uh, because most consumers don't go behind after the first page. And talking first page, which would mean that you actually are looking on a computer, which most people don't do. They're on a mobile phone. So on a mobile phone, you basically have five results that matter. And it's pretty important for an Expedia or when we enable as Amadeus search to make sure that you provide the right five. There because typically for a flight, um, as Amadeus, our traditional search results return 200 flight results. But in reality, people want to see five, and those need to be the most relevant. And then, so how do you take, uh, and that's really where, where data comes in and AI comes in on really fine tuning and understanding how to make sure that you have the right five so people actually convert on that flight. And, and that's fascinating because please explain this to me. I go on and I search and the top five things I now see are either ads or they are for the most popular things. And like, you know, um, why is this, it's so much data out there that those five search results that I'm getting the top five are still not what, you know, why would Google oh, actually not be able to tell me these things, for example? Yeah, okay, because, you, for example, it's more specific. They have more specific information about you when you are in a flight. When you go on Expedia, you, you're pretty sure you're going to be looking for a flight, no? It, it, and, and you're a certain type of traveler. You've booked before. There's additional information about you. And, and so based on that, the best results are returned. Also, the best ads. Yeah, not only the banner ads, but also kind of the, the inline ads. Uh, all of that kind of gets optimized. And, and Expedia measures every day. Does it make sense to have those two ads on the top or not? Does it improve our conversion or does it reduce? And they always have A and B tests every day. And most of the online players have, they all measure if these ads are actually adding value. And again, there are certain e-commerce players that have a very strong view around advertisements. I mean, uh, I know booking.com doesn't do ads. Um, and they have mm -hmm. a strong principle on that. But again, I think it's, it's finding that fine balance because not all ads are bad. And sometimes True. it really helps consumers to make a choice. So uh, it, 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 again, what works in the e-commerce world is the A-B testing and really finding that right balance. And it's different for different consumers what their kind of uh, the friction point is for them to still convert or to feel annoyed by the ads. Uh, and I think this is where many of the e-commerce companies and travel companies can get much better. It often feels a bit like a standard approach. No, it's not a personalized approach yet. True, and I think this is one of the things that, you know, I talk to a lot of people and everyone always asks me this question, right? I mean, you know, one of the things that Google talks about um, really is the fact that there are 7,000 micro moments in a travel journey. And, you know, we both know John Kim and I asked him the same question. And I said, if Google knows so much about me, why do they need me to click 7,000 times? <laughs> you know, why can't they just tell me, hey, Suresh, you want to go to Bali? Or maybe you want to go to the Maldives and let me show you those two things right now at right at the top of the search. And um, the question, I guess, is really about there's an algorithm that really tries to know you and predict something, but there's also a business model. And the business model says I have to serve an ad or I have to show you something because somebody paid. So where does this whole uh, 
between commerce and business and the actual helping a consumer find the right thing, how does that trade-off hap actually happen? I mean, and like I said, you worked in two giants. You must be yeah. testing these kind of trade-offs all the time. Yeah, the trade-off really happens with data. And that's really the big difference on an e-commerce versus a traditional retail. It's really data-driven where that is measured every day and how the conversion can be improved because the key metric is conversion. Yeah, and, and again, but what you, what you can, uh, how much you can convert based upon the, all the consumer traffic that comes in because the cost of customer acquisitions is super high. So you better make sure that you find the best possible way to convert that. And then you take things into account like the ad revenue, all of that gets taken into a model to really optimize there the outcome. And that's tweaked and fine-tuned every day. And uh, like with AI, with machine learning, uh, those algorithms improve over time and try to get more specific. Um, and again, it gets better as the data gets better. And you have, sitting in a company like Amadeus, you probably have some of the most extensive collection of travel data in the world. And, and without going into anything that's confidential, I mean, you know, what kind of data do you have and how are you using all of this in, in a way to, you know, you talked about, you know, the recommendation, the personalization. How are you using that today to make sure that the traveler's experience is actually improved? Yeah, so we have, of course, a tremendous amount of data. We've been in the business over 30 years. Uh, we see more than half of the world's flight bookings through our systems and actually even more because we power a huge amount of airlines in the world. Mm -hmm. And we see what goes through their, we have the data of what goes through their systems. We work with airports. And so we really work from travel agency to airport to airlines and actually then hotels. So we have quite a bit of data of travelers throughout their traveler journey um, and are also using that data to optimize what we offer in terms of solutions. So it's about understanding travelers and understanding what profiles there are, what their needs are. It's about from there as well, predicting travelers actions. So we can help our travel agents or airlines to offer better solutions in terms of upselling and merchandising solutions. And then it's really also about improving operations for airlines, for travel agencies, for airports, by using that data to really optimize and to be able to find you and predict, for example, when there are delays, uh, when delays would be happening. So an airport can adjust its schedule as well and, can, and, and already plan for some of the disruptions that might happen. So we can use data because we have that so extensively, we bring that together and we bring that into our products as well to help uh, our customers to improve all of these elements. And, and you mentioned interestingly both sides, typically when people think about data and AI, they always think about it from the customer point of view, but you mentioned the operations. That must be a huge gain um, in terms of, you know, it's very quantifiable, you know, if I'm able to either predict something or I'm able to show you some saving. Um, how much of the AI and the data initiatives in a company like yours is going toward what I would call the cost saving, the efficiency, the operational improvement bucket, as opposed to the customer experience and the revenue buckets? Yeah, I would say it's hard for me to break that down. In that sense, I would say there is typically a bit more interest on the revenue optimization, on how to sell more, um, how mm -hmm. to improve conversion. So that's more on the revenue side. Uh, but on the cost side, I mean, when you run an airline or an airport, costs are a very important part, no? I mean, especially these days. Yep. So how can you improve your, your, your network, um, your customer service um, optimization. Um, how do you avoid disruptions? 
uh, those things can really add up when you run an airport or an airline. And so, um, uh, again, I think typically these things work better once you've had a bad experience one time and you see what the cost is of actually having that disruption. Um, but again, I think uh, there's been before, even before COVID, we've had ash clouds in Iceland and other parts. So people know pretty well mm -hmm. how costly a disruption can be. Um, and so, uh, but again, it's always easier to showcase the revenue upside versus the cost part. Um, but I think so there's, I would say more on the revenue side, but again, cost optimization, operational optimization, still very important in this industry, which is very asset heavy. So it's, it's interesting that you say there's more interest in the revenue and the customer side. Uh, I mean, I personally know more about that than the cost side. I would have thought that people are more interested in cost saving, but what you're saying is interesting. And I'm just going to go a little bit deeper in travel uh, for a moment, Mika. Uh, travel is the most complex decision that a human being makes, right? I mean, you know, when you want to buy a shirt or when you want to kind of read a book or watch a movie, it's typically one decision, but travel is a series of decisions. I have to decide first where I'm going to, then I'm going to decide the flight and the timing of the flight and the class. And then I have to make a whole bunch of choices about, you know, what happens when the flight and in the airports, and then I get off and there's cars and hotels and places to go through. Is there a utopia that's going to happen where I will wake up and I will have an AI engine tell me, Suresh, you want to go here? Here's everything that's planned out. It's all here. The AI has told you this, just go do it. Or is that too far away? Or what's going to happen between now and that day? <laughs> if only we all would know. No, I think it's not <laughs> going to be like that because people want to feel that they have a choice. Typically, I would say, no, I mean, everybody wants to feel that they're in control and it needs to be also a relevant recommendation. And it's still not easy to identify, for example, in travel. One of the challenges, there is not one person. You are all different personas. When you travel for work, when you travel with your family, when you travel with your, with your friends. And so how do you recognize that this is a girl's trip versus a business trip? And that's really where the challenges come in the recommendation. So it needs to get more sophisticated and that's typically where you need to provide some steering. But it, it is a small element. And what we start seeing is really there's a shift versus wanting to search versus getting recommendations. Will you trust a, a travel agency to give you only five options? And that really has to do in how much trust you have that those are relevant uh, results for your needs. Yeah, and, and this is a little bit that, that gets built over time. And that's, for example, when, uh, when the customer has, is part of a, more of a loyalty program or is more, uh, that's where typically it gets more refined and where that relationship gets get built as well. It's very interesting. I mean, and I don't want to go on a crayon, but we did some work where we said the purpose of travel is probably the single biggest influence on the on the whole um, journey that you take. But when I call a travel agent and the travel agent asks me a question, who are you traveling with or what are you traveling for? I give a simple answer. No engine in the world today asks me that question. There's elements that can be looked at. If you book a trip and there's two adults and two kids, it's pretty clearly it's a it's a personal trip, no? Um, it is. Yeah, true. But you're right. I mean, it does basically, but there's three, there's elements that, that you can use to recognize that if people saying I'm flexible for three days, that typically means it's much more of a leisure trip. So uh, there's elements that you can recognize, but it's true. An agent gets richer information. Yeah. And I think 
what uh, I would say what we are working on and travel agencies are working on. So like, how do we move from more of a generic search uh, that we try to optimize a bit, knowing as much as possible about you, but typically it's still a quite generic search and based upon the kind of the input, what would be the most likely choice depending on the departure and the arrival? How can we start knowing more about you? And that doesn't only come from the travel agency, but as you know, data is gathered in many different places. So how can we kind of find out more about you? And for example, what you've been looking at uh, previously, because people typically start earlier on the journey before they start booking, they start looking at what would be great options to go to. And they start saying, relaxing, start looking for a, a relaxing three-day break, what would be good location? So uh, that's where data comes in and the AI comes in trying to get that information and with that come to the right recommendation. Uh, it is more about uh, personalization, of course, is a buzzword, contextualization. I do see things moving from kind of uh, you pulling information. So you put in a search and you pull kind of information out of the system, more and more moving towards push and information being pushed towards you. Um, uh, but it's still a fine balance to making that too pushy. Uh, and again, there needs to be a relevance. Otherwise it becomes annoying and you and, disconnect. And, and, and again, it's very interesting because you mentioned the human being at two ends of this. Sometimes when you're talking to a human being at the beginning of the cycle, like when you go to a travel agent, in some ways they are helping you shape the search and coming back with something. They're probably not as good as making the recommendation, but they're helping you. And you mentioned the fact that a consumer wants to feel in control and make the choice themselves and not be, you want to be pushed, but not too much. How is AI evolving to understand how much to push? I mean, or is it still at a very early stage of saying, listen, when do I actually tell you, no, 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 you should do this was this, when do I just say, hey, I'm giving you some choices and now you got to make it up. Are the, are the systems getting that smart? Yeah, they are. Absolutely. They get and they learn over time and so this is where data really happened basically uh, they measure where the conversion drops off where you do too much and how you need to fine tune and again there's multiple areas it's recommendations pricing is a key mm -hmm. area for ai i mean you know i mean uh, for certain customer groups is 50 cents difference between one to the other or a dollar what's the cutoff where people are going to bail out and basically are going to disappear so how much can you play around with pricing um, super important, how sensitive, price sensitive are people. Uh, travel is still a very price sensitive topic, uh, but really what price sensitivity do different people have? And that's where if you have a good revenue management system as an airline, which is basically driven by, of course, data and machine learning and AI, uh, that's really the sophisticated ones kind of really try to optimize for that. And that's pretty important in an industry like travel where the margins are not that steep. I completely understand. And, you know, again, pricing is very interesting. Uh, in your own experience, I mean, you know, if you give a consumer a really great experience versus like just a little bit better, I and mean, let me not talk about a 20% better price because people will choose that, but a little bit better thing. Is price generally a bigger factor in a consumer's decision? I mean, at a generic level than, price. let's say, the right recommendation? Yeah, price is still very important in travel. And again, definitely to get in there. Uh, but again, it's not just price, it's also price consistency throughout the booking journey. Uh, because that's mm -hmm. not an easy one because you have the shopping part and then the actual booking part. And one of the complexities in travel is to get price consistency between those two. 
because it's a fluid inventory. Uh, like there's a certain number of hotel rooms, a certain number of seats in the plane. So the gap between when you shop and book, there's a time gap in between. Um, and that really makes travel quite complex versus, uh, for example, physical goods, uh, because there is a, there's a dependency on the capacity that's really available. And so every time, and, and I've noticed this particular thing as an, an individual traveler. So you're saying I put it in the shopping cart, I come back and say, okay, let me decide this next morning. The price yeah, has changed. It, and that is one of the big drop-off points, I guess, because, you know, you get satisfaction. And the question I get most uh, when I was working with Expedia and even now is saying, can you tell me, does, do they measure that when you come back, then the price goes up? And I'm saying, like, why would we do that? No, I mean, why would you want to increase the price? Or sort of like, yeah, but always when I come back, there must be a cookie. So I always go to a different computer to be fresh and new, and they might give me the better offer. I mean, uh, if that would really work uh, in terms of improving conversion, of course, perhaps it would be done. But why would we? No, it's really about, it's a very fluid part. But people do feel that they're being cheated because uh, companies take cookies and they take the information. And when you come back, you, your willingness to pay is must be higher. So therefore the price is up. Um, and again, these are people feel a bit that they are being watched and therefore a, always being a, fairly treated. That's fascinating because I feel like that. And I know something <laughs> about data, right? And maybe it's a little bit, as you were talking, I was thinking maybe it's a little bit of human beings taking their real world experience when you go into a shop and you're kind of bargaining and you kind of go away and you come back and the guy knows you want it, the shopkeeper knows you want it, and then is prepared to pick the price higher. Maybe we are taking the real world experience and bringing it into the digital world and maybe the two worlds are not the same. It's quite interesting no, that you that's right. mentioned and, and this. There are some, there are some players, uh, one of the, uh, the companies I think that's doing very interesting tongue was Hopper, uh, mm -hmm. Hopper in the US. And what they do as well, you can can basically say, I want to travel at that date. And they come back to you with offers versus okay. them immediately you having to pick it. So and they can, you can hold the price. There's many different ways they do it. And they really try to optimize as well based on who you are, uh, how much certainty you want to have, helping you to get the best possible deal there. And again, it's interesting because it changes the dynamic as well. Uh, and it's kind of takes out, tries to address the element that you feel like you're being cheated if you don't make the decision at that moment. And more and more, there's kind of a price guarantee or helping the consumer to get the confidence that they are getting the best deal. And, uh, and that's a lot based on machine, uh, on AI, no? We're trying to give these calendars about the capacity that's available. Uh, is these red days, green days? What would be the average price? What did people pay? Is this a good time to book? And so uh, more and more travel companies are starting to provide that type of information to consumers to make them feel uh, more confident about, uh, about booking a trip. Because at the end of the day, you want them to book that trip and you want them to have no worry and concerns that they're overpaying. Right? Because typically people, once they've booked, they're not, the likelihood to cancel is lower. Absolutely. Uh, it's interesting, uh, you know, again, going back to the human machine thing, uh, one of the things that we have believed and, you know, not a pitch for crayon, but I think one of the things we believed is that a combination of the human being and the AI typically delivers a superior experience and result than a purely human-led decision or a purely data-led decision. And I'm going to just give you an example, right? We work with, we work with a very large credit card company that does a lot of work and travel and 
when they talked about personalization, they said, can you deliver the personalization to the concierge so that the concierge knows those top five destinations and he can use it to have a conversation with the customer. And I don't know your own experience in this because their view and our view then was that the conversation backed by data allows you to actually narrow down and filter what is needed. Uh, I don't know your take and I'd love to get your take on this being an expert in travel yourself. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, and companies use this as well. I mean, you, you can't run purely on data. You actually need to understand what's happening in the context. And I'm trying to think of an example, but uh, for sure, I mean, with all the data in the world, you still need to understand the context where that data has been in, and you can't measure everything. And um, again, I've had many debates over the years where a lot of the engineers say like you can measure everything and we can manage this globally and for example being in i mean one example being based in asia pacific yeah i mean a lot of the tech companies believe they can do everything out of their hq where all their product and engineers are i don't believe in that because i believe you need to be in the market because uh, things mean different things and once you start looking just at data i think you don't always get it right and I think this is where you have to find a combination between the human insight and the data. True. And I think this, this whole thing about um, while it is true, the world is getting globalized <laughs> Sorry, and so on. That is perfectly fine. I mean, <laughs> no. Say, say hello. hello. Hey, you have a background. <laughs> yeah, I have a background. Good. Hey, mommy. So, <laughs> yes, you can swim. You know, uh, I keep saying this, and hey, that's the first child that we've had on Slaves to the Algo. Welcome okay. to your staff. Oh, he is, he is always the regular in my team meetings, and when he doesn't show up, my team says, hey, where is he? No, no, but it's, but, it's, but it's very interesting because I do keep saying this to people that in this new world we live in, your child, your spouse, your dog has a more, right, more of a right to be in your home than, like, you know, than a stranger does. So lovely interruption that was. Uh, but... I have, I mean, you know, I, I'm conscious of the time out here. And I'm sure we can talk a lot more. I'm going to go away from just the flights and the travel to the hospitality industry, right? And do you think that, you know, between airlines and, you know, the airline industry is definitely changing with the hotels as well. Do you think that now hotels are going to start being able to interact directly with consumers, bypass this whole travel agency thing and try and figure out what people want uh, set up full experiences for them. Do you think this is going to happen very soon? At the challenge, I would say in the travel industry, that's a very fragmented industry, much more than the uh, the flights industry. And of course, you have a couple of large change, but especially when you live in this side of the world, it's way more fragmented. And so their access to data and their ability to leverage that data um, is is lower. Uh, and again, their ability as well to reach consumers. And again, when I was experienced, we'd be focused on also enabling the hotels to be in touch directly with the traveler. Yeah, and not to shield that off. There's, I think uh, that's that's a bit of the, the past, no? That travel agencies are trying to shield the travelers off because there's really no benefit of doing that because at the end of the day, the, the traveler also wants to be in touch with the hotel to ask for specific things and, and that. Absolutely. I would say I'm always surprised how as a traveler myself, typically how poor the CRMs are of the hotels. I mean, the amount of times I, again, I don't like sweet stuff. The amount of time I have a chocolate cake in my hotel room, I don't know how often. And again, they should be remarking somewhere that I'm never eating that thing, no? I've I prefer had, sparkling I've had water. I've a lot of complaints 
about Muslim travelers saying, why is there a bottle of wine? I mean, I'm like, you know, it's not very hard. These are things like it's, that feels so unpersonal. And again, perhaps even, even when you're a frequent traveler, the amount, the way that they capture that information, how it's there. I mean, there's still a lot of work that needs to happen around the CRM systems. I think one of the challenges in the hotel industry is that, um, and that's also why we we stepped into the, the hotel technology, because as it's, it's a, such a fragmented industry and actually some of the key systems are pretty outdated that most hotels use. Um, their ability to really extract the information Typically, the human touch is better than the system in the hotel world so far, I would say. And it's really the GM that knows the customer service, the staff that works. And I think in a hotel, you feel it, no? When there is a well-trained team and they know what they're doing. Now, how powerful would it be if that great team that's so well-trained is empowered and enabled through data to even improve the service and make it more specific? But I think that we're a long way from that at the moment. I know, of course, the big change are trying to do things, but it often feels very mechanical and automatic. So I'm going to share with you just a moment in 1997. No technology. Checked into Hong Kong in the Mandarin Oriental. I'll name the chain. The second time I went in there, the lady at the reception says, Mr. Shankar, your check-in is waiting at your room because they allow you to check in both of that. And there is an iron, you know, a, a steam iron waiting for you. You know, you take the morning flight, you go in at 12, you want to iron your clothes before you head out for the meeting. And I'm like, how did you know that? And she pulled out a yellow piece of paper, which is just in the file that, you know, they get a booking and they attach it and, you know, wants an iron in his room. I mean, so it's as simple. It's not the technology. It's really the people as well, right? How you capture that information. And um, I guess it just shows that Though we talk about big data and AI, there's a lot of the human touch that's still needed for these things. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. that was a that was a distraction. I'm going to come back to a question which I think worries a lot of people today, and I'm sure you see it because in a large company you're exposed to things like regulations and GDPR and data privacy acts in various countries. Um, now, two big tech giants, Apple first and then now Google, are basically saying you cannot track me anymore on my browser, you cannot ask for permissions on my mobile phone. How do you think this is gonna change the face of an industry where the cookie and following you everywhere has been very much a part of targeting? Um, yeah, that's a good question. And again, I, I don't know all the specifics on, my, on the kind of how the, these companies have kind of put the boundaries, but I, there is so much data in different places and it's not just cookies. Yeah, and, and again, it's, I would say you should be careful on where you, with whom you share your data, but you also kind of should assume that your data is already everywhere. Yeah, and so uh, I think, I'm, I'm, of course, it's gonna make a difference for certain industries that are very dependent on that data. I know advertisement is definitely one of those, um, but I think, um, using data and helping and using that for good. Not, uh, I think that's really where uh, there's a lot of benefit from it. And again, you see that in the travel industry where it's gonna help travelers to get, have a more frictionless experience. Uh, and again, it's so many other industries that you've talked about before where data is really helping to save lives. No? And I think, mm -hmm. so it's not all bad. We've been using data and scientific data for a long time. It's just the size of it and the amount of data that you have now here, it is it, it is much richer than it was before. 
um, and therefore new things are possible that were not possible before. So I don't think we should see it as something scary. Uh, mm -hmm. Of course, you should stay conscious. Again, you don't let your money and your things kind of scatter around. But again, it's like, uh, I would say it is something that's out there and you should, I'm the glass half full person. You should see that it's okay. going to help you for things to get better. No, that is such a wonderful thing because I think there are people who are genuinely scared about, I think, the, the hold of tech giants and the amount of data that's out there. But you are right. I mean, in some ways, data is like a gun. I mean, it's really the person who holds the data and what they do with yeah. it as much as what yeah. it is. Uh, Mika, I'm going to ask you one last question uh, before you go. I know you can't talk and I don't, I don't know whether you or anybody else in the world knows when travel will come back. But if you move away, travel and move, take a three or five year horizon. Can you share us something that you think are going to be a completely different in travel that is led by AI and data? Some new trends that you're seeing? I mean, okay, so I, I think travel will come back. Uh, people, uh, that's not me, it's Barry Deller. When there's life, there's travel. People want to travel. Um, and uh, I think, I, I mean, we see technology as a key enabler to get travel started again. Uh, and the reason is because we're able to get uh, the certificates of all that you have vaccination, all of that, to have that information being shared, just the information that people need to know, what papers they need, all of that. That's a lot of data that needs to be gathered and needs to be shared and updates around the time, right time. And then also biometrics, which is really going to be a key element to have touchless travel and to have safe experiences as you travel. Mm -hmm. So uh, technology will enable travel to be able to start safe again. We've done some research recently as well that shown that, that people truly also believe that technology will be a key enabler for travel to start in a safe way again. And so uh, I would say what will what will change? Uh, too, too difficult to say, but I think uh, we do see overall already that, I mean, more people, and again, throughout the whole pandemic, are doing things much more even online uh, in terms of mm -hmm. shopping, talking, meeting, all of that. So more of that moves to a, a digital and online space. So uh, that will give more opportunities and that will also uh, have a need for different experiences uh, in a digital space than from before. And I think you'll start seeing, you'll start seeing different business models come up um, and um, where some people are challenged throughout the pandemic, there's others who will come up with new ideas and fill that void. I have my own personal take on it. Thank you. That is, that is quite interesting, especially the role of biometrics and all these vaccine passports and all of that and how technology can enable that. Uh, my own belief is that a lot of people are going to start traveling the way we used to travel longer trips. I mean, I think we've all gotten used to thinking I can go to go on a flight, go and I can hop across the pond and come back in a day or the same day, or I can do a two day trip because of, I think the friction that's going to come around medical, I think longer trips are going to be in. So to me, it's very interesting because what happens when I take a longer trip, because everything about the consumer behavior changes when I'm planning for five days or 10 days, as opposed to just going out there. So um, I think we're up for a very interesting times in the travel business when it, uh, when it does come back as it will. Yeah. And uh, Mika, I think, like I said, travel is such a integral part of all our lives. I guess we could keep talking for a lot, but I really like to thank <laughs> you for, for um, being on the show and sharing some of your experiences in the travel industry and how data and AI is being used um, to my viewers. And so thank you very much once again for being on the show. Uh, to my viewers and listeners, that was Mika De Shepherd, Managing Director of Amadeus Travel in Asia Pacific, a travel veteran, 
a person who has been at the forefront of using technology to change the face of travel. And for all of you who are wondering, yes, she says travel will come back. She can't predict when, neither can I, no, no one can, but soon enough. And um, please do subscribe. And it's via Steps to the Algo is on Google Podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcast, and on YouTube. Uh, thank you for listening to the show. And once again, a very, very big thank you, Mika, for sharing your experiences on data and travel in AI. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. If you enjoyed this week's episode of Slaves to the Algo, please rate, share, and subscribe. Visit crayondata.com to find out more. See you next time.